Thursday night edition of the Dunked on Basketball podcast. Game one of the NBA Finals in the books. We'll get into excruciating detail on how it all went down. We remind you we're sponsored today by a new sponsor, actually a Dunktown listener who reached out to me, a guy named Jay Ratkowski, huge Bucks fan, loves the show, wanted to support it. He has a company called Transistor that helps medium to large companies improve their online business through advertising, search engine optimization, web analytics, and more. You can go to jfet, J-F-E-T dot I-O slash cap space to get a comprehensive audit of your site for 50% off their normal price. So where I wanted to start here was the factor that I think is going to be potentially the downfall for Cleveland in this series. They just gave no indication whatsoever that they have a prayer of stopping the Golden State Warriors in this series. The most striking stat to me along those lines was that the Warriors attempted 34 shots in the restricted area in the first half. They made 19 of them. And so, yeah, if they had made a couple more of those, then they would have had fewer attempts because some of those were putbacks. But that is not survivable by any way shape or form and I expect it to get better but it has to be a lot better to be tolerable yeah to put that 34 in perspective the league leader took 31 shots per game at the rim that's per game (laughs) this was they exceeded that by three in one half and they were just giving up crazy uncontested dunks in transition I mean Durant had six dunks in the first half the most he'd ever had in a whole playoff game before was four uh that per uh, ESPN stats and info so that that was one takeaway I, I think just that for Cleveland whether it was failing to get back in transition and obviously the, their turnovers hurt there they gave up 27 fast break points to the Warriors but it wasn't even like Golden State's back cuts right we talked about that in the preview of all right if they're going to give up 10 points a game or 12 points a game on just easy backdoor layups they can't survive they actually did okay there but it looked like Golden State really didn't run nearly as much off ball stuff as they normally do and if they did it was pretty simple stuff just a down screen to get kd open on lebron or a down screen to get clay thompson open even though he missed a few of them always run with whoever kevin love was guarding by the way because they knew that cleveland didn't want to switch those actions and the warriors even just in the half court were just beating their guys and cleveland does not have a ton of of good individual defenders and it showed in this game not only do they have limitations in terms of individual defenders but their help defense was horrendous when they even had an opportunity for help defense i mean a lot of those durant ones i wouldn't even consider that that was more just scramble situations but when somebody would get blown by when when there would be a mistake in coverage there wouldn't be anyone or any credible resistance at the rim and that's a just a gigantic problem against a team that is great at finishing at the basket some of that is because the Warriors get more uncontested shots there at least anecdotally than other teams but they just don't have many guys that put up resistance Cleveland should have lost this game by more than they did frankly like at halftime the Warriors were only five out of 22 on jump shots Clay Thompson three out of 16 he's continued to struggle offensively though he's been solid defensively and obviously still provides a ton of gravity spacing the floor but he was 0 for 5 on threes uh draymond green missed a, a bunch of layups Steph even m- missed a few Pachulia passed up a, a bunch of open layups so it really is a big problem for cleveland and yeah you know i think they were really worried about 
about sticking to shooters and that's why they gave up so many uncontested layups and they did better at least in the second half through the competitive portion of the game in the second half which i once dante jones makes an appearance you can uh, and james jones maybe even more uh you can say that the competitive portion of these games are, are over in the second half they only gave up nine shots at the rim but then they started getting beat on three pointers uh, steph curry in particular they didn't really have have much of an answer i mean i thought one of the telling plays was finally in the second half they actually had durant on a fast break and got someone in front of him and then just threw to steph curry for a wide open three-pointer and durant and curry were both unbelievable in this game curry 28 points 10 assists 11 out of 22 from the field six of 11 on threes but one of those was a heave so he's really six out of 10 and he also had four secondary assists and three steals as well only two turnovers for curry and then durant 38 points 14 of 26 i can't remember he's probably only taken that many shots a couple of times in his warriors career three of six on three pointers got to the foul line for eight attempts also had eight assists and he was he and curry i mean the the fact that they combined for 18 of the warriors 31 assists showed that they really went to a simpler game plan uh, than they often do where it's all right we're gonna run all this off ball stuff and you know find someone and ping the ball around they just went at their guys and they beat them over and over again and it's hard to figure out exactly how cleveland is going to counter that because devoting more resources to those sorts of approaches is going going to leave openings other places and Cleveland does not have really that many guys to to throw at Durant if they want to put doubles he's tall enough to pass and to, to make reads and the Warriors are good at handling that you know they can put players in the right positions to get passes and it was also ridiculous how many open looks other players got whether they went in, went in or not Zaza Pachulia was four of five from the field including one circus and one which was one of the weirdest plays of the entire season and then Clay Thompson was one for seven on uncontested shots in this game so so that was one big problem and i think we also need to note that there's a little bit of a difference between a healthy steph curry and who he was last year when he was getting stopped on switches by tristan thompson and kevin love and he didn't go to it too often he still was trying to move the ball the warriors were almost too unselfish at, at times uh even even when it was curry or durant creating the initial advantage they would try to pass it around and it would end up with like draymond trying to take the three and which would end up being a worse look than some of the ones that, that they had earlier in the possession but but you saw Steph Curry just absolutely blow by Kevin Love. Even Tristan Thompson put him in the mix as well. And that had to be satisfying for Curry because, you know, he had to hear for a whole year about how like Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson shut him down. Uh, and we'll see whether those guys can play a little bit better. I think they can a little bit at least, but still just no answers for Curry or Durant. I thought that they also had a lot of success getting KD open on pretty simple pin downs, again, using Love lebron uh not really that adept at he, you know he wants to be a help defender at this point in his career he's not gonna try to lock down a, on kd and guard him coming off of screens he's not gonna hold kd and really just try to take away his cuts and you know they didn't really have anyone else to guard kd i mean the only one the only other person they can look to do that is richard jefferson i think he needs to play a lot more by the way uh played 15 minutes in this one he was one of the few calves i thought that showed much life um but I thought a very telling stat to me was that LeBron contested only three shots at the rim in this game, whereas Love contested 13 and actually forced eight misses on those 13 plays. And Thompson, in only 22 minutes, contested seven and, and only allowed three buckets. But James, he's just got to play better defensively. And maybe it's, that's just that's not possible for him to play this type of minutes load, have to run everything offensively and guard Kevin Durant and be a help defender. Maybe it's just he can't do it. Uh, but, you know, we've 
we've seen him improve over the course of series before defensively the other thing too is I think Tristan Thompson has got to play more than 22 minutes yeah that was something that I focused on because there is an identity issue with Cleveland in terms of that they tried to go small and I understand Lou doing that considering how they got outplayed especially actually at the end of the first quarter I thought one of the definitive stretches of the game was actually when Draymond got two fouls early and the Warriors didn't sink in fact they were plus seven during that eight and a half minutes that he was that he sat in the in the end of the first quarter so they went to Levitt Center and I thought that while while that kind of works in theory you know it it juices up the offense Tristan Thompson is a part of almost every one of the of the best lineups against a team like Golden State because they need to be defending in order to have a chance yeah they have to be able to switch I mean and if these if they're gonna just beat Tristan Thompson one-on-one in a switch I mean then you're sunk anyway but they just because Channing Fry didn't play minutes they only played two traditional bigs Love and Thompson so you're basically looking at Love at center for 22 minutes a game and those are or they actually played LeBron at center a little bit too but then I think they're still going to be pretty limited defensively like Thompson is their best defensive player I I think maybe maybe LeBron at certain times can't be but those are their only two good good defensive players then you got to go down to like a Richard Jefferson or Amon Shumpert really their role players who aren't going to play that much so yeah Thompson has to play because if it's going to be love at center they just cannot control them defensively and yeah if you have love at center you're going to get more open looks and space the floor more but frankly Golden State's defense as, as we'll get to in a moment was so good in this game that I'm not sure that even spacing the floor with love at center is going to get I mean it'll help you offensively but I don't know if that's going to be reliable enough to where especially because they like to ISO so much that they can keep up with Golden State if Golden State's just running a layup drill on the other end the trade-offs just aren't worth it in my eyes because the Warriors are a great offensive team in their own right and when you we think about kind of what that is doing you're you're losing to me you're losing the potential to have an advantage during LeBron minutes and I thought it was interesting that Cleveland yeah when they went to those those lineups to love at center they were able to score but I mean if as you said if you're conceding better looks than you're getting even if you're getting good looks that's not that's not a good situation for you to be in all right before we move on i want to introduce a new sponsor transistor are you trying to grow your business online or have changes from google caused a sudden drop in your traffic transistor can help get you on the right track the owner jay ratkowski is a dunk down listener he actually reached out to me as a way to support the podcast and of course because he wanted to advertise to the extremely smart successful people who listen to the show he's a huge bucks fan out of wisconsin and what transistor does is they help medium to large companies improve their online business through advertising search engine optimization web analytics and more i was really impressed with jay's services he helped me out with some great suggestions for growing the podcast that we've just started implementing just simple stuff like adding nba to the name of the show because people search for nba podcasts in addition to basketball contests we're we're really high in the list of searches for basketball podcasts but not for nba and a lot of people search for nba that was just one of the things that he suggested to help grow the show. So if you're responsible for marketing a brand on the web and you're looking for help, you can skip all the hassle of trying to recruit and hire someone, especially if you're not located on the coast. That can be very difficult to find someone who has this level of expertise. Give Transistor a try. Get the full range of services of an agency, but with the personal attention of a consultant. And for Dunktown listeners, you can go to jfet.io slash capspace, jfet.io slash capspace, and get a comprehensive audit of your site with recommendations that you can use yourself for five 
$500. That's 50% off their normal price. Once again, jfet.io slash capspace. And you can work with Jay and I think you'll be as impressed with his services as I've been so far. Let's get to the Cavs offense now. Two things really stuck out to me. Number one was Cleveland shooting at the rim. Only 15 out of 33 for the game. In particular, the Warriors third quarter defense coming out of halftime was unbelievable for when they went on on that run to break it open to, to 20 points Kevin Durant contested 11 shots at the rim that's your small forward slash power forward who also happens to be seven feet they scored on only four of those Draymond Green contested seven at the rim they only scored on one of those even Pachulia uh, did a nice job at getting his body in front of guys he allowed only three of nine shooting at the rim although some of those who have more than one person contesting it and most of those shots at the rim I mean a few of them were kind of were tap-ins that just got missed or but at generally is LeBron James and Kyrie Irving trying to go to the basket and Irving had some absolutely wondrous finishes especially in the second quarter but overall it's just it's too difficult to keep up with this Warriors team I mean Cleveland has great talent like they, they can even get hot enough for a game or maybe even two games in the series I think where they can keep up with the, what the Warriors are doing offensively even if they're really well contested but Golden State really does a great job unless it's a scramble situation of not giving them anything easy and even at the rim they're pretty well contested by great rim defenders and then you've got guys who can dig down as well who can help and still recover the three-point line with their length and speed guys like Iguodala Durant Draymond those guys can actually be enough of a presence to make LeBron or Kyrie pass off and then still be able to close out to someone at the three-point line and Cleveland for example J.R. Smith was completely shut down in this game he only had three points only attempted four shots two three-pointers and had two turnovers love did shoot six threes and he made three three out of them uh, but he wasn't really able to you know he's been getting like 10 three-pointers a game in these series a lot of time and Cal Corver got a couple on broken plays in the second quarter uh, but overall it really was just not the smorgasbord that Cleveland's role players have been able to get and, and I mean it wasn't really Cleveland actually shot well on three-pointers throughout the competitive portion of the game they were they shot seven of 17 in the first half over 40 percent and they were at 37 percent which is perfectly fine when all their guys checked out i thought a big part of love's tough night was draymond green was great defensively doing a lot of the under the radar parts of contesting shots without getting yourself in position to foul and also being able to be out there and make a presence but also then be ready to help and in some ways more importantly defensive rebound he had 10 10 defensive rebounds one offensive in this game and while cleveland ended up you know getting 50 15 offensive boards in the contest i thought early on the warriors made a more concerted effort and did a very good job yeah patrullio was excellent boxing out uh, tristan thompson they face guarded thompson well he did have three offensive boards only one defensive board and you mentioned the, the warriors going crazy on their own offensive glass in the first half i think they actually had eight offensive rebounds in the first quarter uh, the warriors did uh but a lot of those two are the results of just the defense being scrambled initially uh and it was said after the game Game that you just can't prepare for the Warriors speed and it definitely looked like Cleveland was a, a number of steps slow and they'll I think they'll get better with their communication they may not look as bad but then the Warriors might actually make more of these great chances that they are converting as well the second thing that really stood out to me other than 
the fact that they're able to just make Kyrie and LeBron shoot at the rim and make them miss more than they're accustomed to. The Steph Curry man as the screener pick and rolls were totally shut down in this game. And a lot of that was because they were able to just pre-switch everything. And Cleveland is very stagnant offensively, right? Like they, you kind of know what's coming. You know, they're not going to go with quick hitters unless it's like in transition. And they're not really going to disguise the action that much. And when that's the case, Draymond Green can direct traffic behind the play and get it set up so that they pre-switch someone like Clay Thompson or KD onto Steph's man. And sometimes LeBron would then just hunt down that guy and they'd rescreen, but that would take a lot of time. And then when they weren't able to do that, uh, the plan was that they were going to go under on LeBron, especially when he was being guarded by KD, who could use his length to contest the three-pointer. And Steph would do a good job of hedging. I asked Draymond Green why they're able to do better on those plays after the game. Here's what he had to say. Nate Duncan dunked on podcasts. They had a lot of success in the last series running pick and roll at Steph Curry. It looked like you guys did a better job on that this time. Why were you able to do better? Uh, Steph take, took it personal. You know, his shows were great. His defense was amazing. And, you know, if he, if he, when he takes it personal like that and, you know, he accepts the challenge, we're a damn good defensive team. And, you know, his, like I said, he was up the floor on his shows as opposed to getting strung out. You know, and guys were locked in behind the play also. So if there was a, you know, a miscommunication on one show or two, you know, there's guys there to help. And, you know, we were all locked in and on the screen together. Thank you, Jeremiah. The reminder tomorrow there is so here's a log of all the plays in which uh steph curry cleveland got a shot out of steph curry as the screener directly out of that action uh, either a shot or a turnover the first one lebron missed a three kd went under still got a decent contest second one steph actually stepped up on lebron allowed himself to be knocked down and then was still on the axis and actually intercepted lebron's pass from the ground uh the next one was actually Kyrie going at it he tried to spin into the lane they actually did get the switch that time it was the only time that they actually got the switch and got a shot directly out of that he tried to get in the lane iguodala was guarding lebron he left him at the arc and and stripped Kyrie irving into a turnover uh then they had some success where lebron tried to kind of split the play a little bit and he got kind of a weak foul call and stuff but he was on his way to the room that you could count as a successful play the next one sean livingston was guarding him went way under and they avoided the switch Draymond green helped out a little bit but livingston was in front of lebron so lebron tried to throw it to the weak side and durant was on the weak side he succeeded both in tagging tristan thompson in the dunker position so lebron couldn't pass it to him and then getting all the way out to love with his length and deflecting the pass so that it then bounced off of love out of bounds and then lebron hit a three in semi-transition which cleveland needs to do more of that play in semi-transition where there wasn't even really a screen jr just kind of slipped it and durant fell asleep and and lebron hit a three and he kind of my batted afterwards so also interesting by the way as an aside that was six times that that a shot was taken involving curry as uh, curry's man as the screener san antonio didn't get a single shot off of that action in that whole series utah only got one and portland only got three so you see how much more cleveland goes to those plays but one of the stats that we mentioned in the preview was that cleveland had like 1.2 points per possession on any play where steph's man was the screener and obviously they're much below that today 
And it's hard, you know, to really see a, a tiger change their stripes in terms of disguising it, getting into some of the more nuanced things. That's just not really what Cleveland does. Like somebody asked LeBron after the game about the isolations and he brought up the completely fair point that, you know, that's part of what brought them there. LeBron, Kyrie are special isolation players for a reason. It's part of the reason why we both feel that they can be even more dangerous in the playoffs than the regular season, Kyrie in particular. But on a slightly different note, something that struck me in this game, especially going through just kind of like the general stats was Kyrie and Steph Curry each took 22 shots. Curry made 11. Kyrie made 10. Neither of them got to the free throw line much. Steph not at all. Kyrie once. I think that was on an and one. And yeah, that, that crazy four point play that he yeah, got. That was the only that was, time he that got was, to the yeah. and Which so, by the way, I did not, uh, as a quick aside, that's a, a foul call that I actually agreed with because he actually left the floor and committed to the shot before the contact took place. Yeah, he took to an early shot. Contact. Yeah. yeah. And then I had no problem up. with the call either. And yeah. so you take those ideas and you take those 22 shots. And from me, I, I didn't go back and rewatch the film yet. I haven't had a chance. But the shots that Kyrie got were so much more challenging than the ones that Curry got. And that isn't a surprise, but it's another reminder of just kind of how different these two teams are, is that Kyrie is a wizard at that. He made some just unbelievable shots, not only at the rim, but also at some some mid-rangers that were very impressive. But it's hard to get much more efficient at that sort of stuff than what he did. 10 of 22 on challenging shots is, is very good. And Curry, I thought that he could have made a couple more than he did. Yeah, of course, only two assists for Kyrie as well when Steph had 10 and then four four secondary assists and overall as a team Cleveland only 15 assists and LeBron did acknowledge in the post game that he likes to see that number up in the 20s but that they do ISO a, a fair amount one one point on but, that yeah Cleveland had as many secondary assists in this game as Zaza Pachulia too <laughs> yeah well Z- Zaza uh I think both of his secondary assists were on like wide open layups that he passed up probably right uh so the next thing that stuck out to me was something that was clear to me in the 2015 finals and then was not really and it seemed like it was the case over the first four games of last year and then was not the case in games five and six and then they actually did a pretty good job on LeBron I think he only shot like nine out of 24 in game seven everyone shot poorly in that game it seemed like but other than Draymond Green but LeBron I mean so much of Cleveland's offense is they're not running like crazy stuff they're not moving the ball they're not disguising they don't run beautiful actions they rely on simple stuff and the fact that they have LeBron James and they have have Kyrie Irving and then they have Kevin Love if you want to switch that they can go to in the post and LeBron just was not able to beat his guy one-on-one and draw the type of help that we've seen him be able to draw where he's just getting wide open threes or he's just scoring easily at the rim and part of that is just because if you compare this Warriors rim protection in their hands to the Celtics or the Raptors or or even the Pacers where you know Miles Turner is trying to guard Kevin Love in the corner and he is just you know no way to guard Love and get to the rim against LeBron and Golden State just has a ton of these guys uh, Durant and Green in particular who can cause problems and then Clay Thompson was outstanding he like when he just stoned Kevin Love in the post on the first play of the game like Thompson has been a great post defender uh underrated part of his game as I've said before so We'll see. I mean, LeBron is going to have to win those one-on-one battles, whether it's backing down, you know, more slowly, drawing help. I thought Cleveland played way too fast in this game. They're both to allow their guys to rest on offense, uh, slow the pace, try to get more offensive rebounding. If they're just coming down and, and jacking up shots, they'll also turn the ball over a lot less if they go to more of a, a slower type of style. 
But even if they do go to that, like they're going to have to beat these guys one on one. And you know, I think like I that Kevin Durant did an outstanding job one on one against LeBron. You know, and LeBron is not you know a great scorer in the sense that he can like cross you over and pull up from mid range. You know, he's got to get all the way to the rim, or you know, he'll pull up for a three point jumper sometimes, or he'll get in the post, which I think I think he only took one shot out of the post in the whole game today. He missed a, a floater that the Warriors will live with. I mean, he's definitely going to play better in the series. He had those seven turnovers in the first half, many of which were really ugly. And I think for him too, he's got to get used to, all right, what are the parameters I can get away with with some of these passes now against Golden State with these backside defenders that you know are not there the way they were in earlier series. So there's a, an adjustment for him to kind of get back on track. And I think he'll play better as the series goes along. In, and in, er, Yeah, go ahead, sorry. In the 2015 finals, I thought Cleveland deserved a lot of credit for going to David strategies. The idea that without Kyrie, without Kevin Love, they were at a talent disadvantage. So they had to go slow it down, muck it up, you know, rely on a little bit of variance, guys getting hot and giving games, Matthew Delvadova having the game of his career. In 2016, it was a little bit different. They did some of that, but there was just an overall a different series. And to me, one of the big lessons of this game was that they have to start embracing that again, because strength versus strength, the Warriors have superior talent. What did you think of Kevin Love defensively in this game? Did you feel like, I mean, it felt very similar to me. We mentioned this in the preview of how Aldridge and Gasol were really effective in that series against the Rockets. And then they played the Warriors and all of a sudden they're just out on an island and and they look like they're stuck in cement. You know, it seemed, although I thought Love, I mean, he played really well. He, He had three block shots. He defended well at the rim when he was actually in position but I mean, when he had to get out on the floor or just simply because they don't want to switch with him guys are able to get open coming off of pin downs you know he seemed, he seemed like a major defensive liability in this one to me I think both of those things are true he was good at a lot of the individual things and executing in concepts but the Cavs were so cognizant of him for a good reason they had to be with his limitations and everything else like that and the biggest differences for me were not on ball it was off ball which is something that you talked about a fair amount before the series is what happens if Zaza Pachulia or Draymond Green sets like a pin down for Clay and those situations just the Cavs don't have a real answer for it and I'm not saying that Love did a bad job executing it's just that they don't have a clear solution few other interesting stats in the first half the Warriors had 16 more true shot attempts either a field goal attempt or a trip to the free throw line than the Cavs did that's obviously the Cavs cannot live with that and the Warriors somehow only shot like you know 42 percent or something in the first half I think that uh, the one thing I didn't care for from the Warriors was Clay Thompson just being too aggressive because they're getting whatever they want. And this has been the case really all playoffs, that he's just taking too many tough twos. Uh, they had success getting to the basket and driving. And, you know, when he's matched up against Kevin Love, I think he should try to be aggressive in those situations. And, and he did have four assists, which might be like a career high for him. Uh, not really, but more than he usually has i i do think that for him if he's not wide open though he needs to like not shoot you know uh a two but still i mean he's been a very valuable player and they're adamant that you know they want to still pass at him just as, as much as they have but i mean he has been the least efficient link because of i mean durant and curry have just been both completely unstoppable in these playoffs thompson has this habit which is unusual for players who are as good as he is though it does kind of inform part 
part of why he works so well in the Warriors system, where he tries to shoot himself into a hot streak, and that almost never works. Like, usually the way you get hot is by making the shots that you're good at and by converting it. And Clay, sometimes I think it's he gets frustrated with himself. And, you know, if they're facing a really good defense or things aren't flowing, those shots are okay. There's They're never great. But against Cleveland, when almost everything else you're getting is either a dunk or an open three, pass off those shots and work for something else. And something you noted was also like he had one three where he forced it, his feet weren't set. Just the idea of doing what you're best at and then growing from there. Because when he's hot, he hits everything. But when he's not hot, it's not like those get him going. Yeah, that's true. He doesn't, he had like another three where he didn't have his feet set at all. He was just like kind of open. A few other notes here we can just kind of go through chronologically in the game. One thing that the Cavaliers like to take advantage of is if LeBron has the ball on one side of the floor, they'll have Thompson set flare screens on the opposite side so LeBron can throw those 90 mile an hour passes to the opposite corner. The Warriors did a nice job of dealing with those. They were definitely ready for those. I mean, it really, like their help defense on the backside was just some of the best that I've ever seen at the NBA level in this game is really outstanding. I, I thought, what did you think of just the first quarter when the Warriors led 35 to 30? Like, what do you think? Were you thinking it as that quarter went on? Green got in foul trouble with two fouls early. They went to Javale McGee. Uh, what, what were you thinking though as that quarter went on? I was thinking that was close to a best case scenario for Cleveland. LeBron was spectacular in that first quarter. 13 points, got to the free throw line, six of eight, made some nice assists. Was a, had a hand in almost every good thing that Cleveland did offensively. Draymond missed eight and a half minutes, and I not only thought that the Warriors were ahead by like that they were ahead by five and could have been ahead by more, but it was it was kind of a lot of those warning signs. They were getting really good looks, even though at that point, Cleveland wasn't turning the ball over. They only had two turnovers in the first quarter. They scored 30 points, and yet they were still giving up quality looks. Yeah, they had 10 turnovers, I think, in the second quarter, which is an unbelievable amount. And I thought that they, I mean, part of this, I'm sure, was because Green was out of the game for so long, but they were doing what they needed to offensively. Kyrie and LeBron making spectacular shots. They're getting a fair amount of open threes. They're getting on the offensive glass in that quarter and they still ended it down five and they the Warriors could have scored even more than that those 35 points it was a very high pace first half as well I think 53 and 52 possessions in that first half there was a great play that was uh, encapsulated the JaVale experience that we were like elbowing each other over when he totally he was supposed to set a screen for Clay Thompson to go out to the corner instead he just runs out to the corner with Clay Thompson Curry then just points him back towards the rim so he runs towards the rim and gets like this awesome reverse dunk <laughs> the, it, and I thought JaVale had like a, a block he also got dunked on pretty badly by LeBron but he, he was active he got had three offensive boards in his five minutes and and they did okay in his minutes he was plus eight in only six minutes but again I think that Cleveland could potentially find more ways to attack him and he didn't play it all in the second half as well uh what what else stuck out to you you, I mean do you remember just any things that you were thinking as the game was going along in the first half well there's one big thing that we I don't think we've emphasized enough the Warriors only turned the ball over four times and that is the franchise low they've been counting turnovers since 77 for the league it's a low not only in a 
playoff game, but in a regular season game too. And that helped short circuit a lot of what Cleveland would want to do. They're a devastating transition team. And the Warriors, you know, there are times when they can't get out of their own way. But in this game, they were they were focusing on getting yeah. shots. Fortunately, and- the Cavs the Cavs also got out of their way. <laughs> yeah, they did a lot. But but I, th- I think that just they're not going to have a f- another four turnover game. And no. I mean, a couple of those were actually pretty bad. It's but, just but it is really indicative of, of the lack of force and just the, that Cleveland did other than just a, there are a couple of times early in the second half where they tried to run Curry off the ball and J.R. Smith just held the crap out of him. He knocked him down one time. Curry tried to get a foul call. He didn't get it. And then they just had to go to an to a couple of ISOs and they didn't. One was green trying to drive for a foul. He didn't get it. KD took a three at the top of the key the other time. Other than that, though, I mean, Cleveland did absolutely nothing to make the Warriors really feel them, I felt like. And the four turnovers, certainly an example of that. Something else that stood out to me at the time was that Ty Lue... Oh, oh, and by the way, not not only that, not only did the Warriors have four turnovers, Cleveland had zero steals. They didn't have a single steal in the entire game. Like, all four of those turnovers were basically unforced turnovers. Two by Green and two by Curry. Yeah, and Zaza, one of them was a pass to Zaza that just flew out of bounds because he was never expecting the ball because why would he ever expect the ball? I can't remember his other one, but a stretch that was surprising, especially because it came right on the heels of... of Draymond's foul trouble was to start the second quarter LeBron played the entire first LeBron came back out to start the second you're sitting there going okay you know they're good they're really going to push it here the Warriors went to their standard second unit with Draymond David West I don't need to go through the whole lineup and Cleveland did not really create an advantage during that time I was very surprised I expected that to be a time where they could really push try to get some momentum going yeah. and they brought they, love back in at center during that yeah. time too and they still weren't able to make any headway so I thought that was notable in that sense, just kind of like the Dream Monsters before, where it's like, okay, Cleveland has a, they have a spot here. They have an advantage. They're not going to have most of the rest of the series. They have LeBron against this Warriors lineup that generally can't score very well. And they just, they just didn't have it in this game. Yeah. And then when LeBron went out, they didn't do too well either. Uh, although LeBron actually, I mean, he was negative 22 and they lost by 22. So this is one of those few games where you can't blame their performance when he was out of the game. And he did get more rest in that first quarter or in that first half than he has been getting he wasn't on pace to play 45 minutes and i don't know if that he can against this warriors team with what he's he has to do defensively now uh where he could largely hide on some of these i mean he wasn't really guarding paul george very much at all in the indiana series and then he was just hiding out on you know a marcus smart or a jay crowder or a norman powell or or damari carroll or something in the previous series now he really has to guard and that's gonna be difficult for him another note that i had I've always monitored this ever since Steve Kerr really struggled in his first finals in 1996. Uh, You know, he was a great shooter, obviously, but didn't shoot the ball well. Uh, Vets who are getting, especially role players who are getting to their first finals, bear watching because they can be a little tight. And it was interesting that the three guys in this series that fall into that category, especially guys who shoot jump shots. So David West was one out of four. Corver was 0 for 3. I think every single one of his threes that he missed was wide open. And Darren Williams was 0 for 4. Uh, you know, those are three vets who are getting to the finals for the first time. And I think you can just, sometimes you'll see guys like that get, get a little tight. That's just anecdotal. You know, I don't I'm sure there's a way to actually study that, but uh, it's always something I watch for. And 
wasn't surprising to see you know west was hesitating a little on, on his jumper in particular although he did it have one nice post up uh clay thompson i thought did well on kyrie irving they really were making a very concerted effort you could see to force him to the left side of the floor he likes he's more comfortable stepping back to his right there's not a lot of players in the league who are like that but i mean you remember the shot that he hit over curry last year uh, that falls into that category uh and he really was not able to be as effective uh, on the left side of the floor they did a good job with that um you want to know something something that amused me in this game yes of the players on the Cavs that were you know starters or heavy rotation players Kevin Love actually had the best defensive rating at 96.1 Tristan was the worst at (laughs) 132.8 that is surprising uh I think it's because he was out there for one stretch when the Warriors just couldn't really hit a shot I'm trying to remember exactly when that was but i seem to remember that happening where there's just like a series of misses and and he was out there maybe it was that maybe it was the time with when he was at center and he also was was off the floor for some of the warriors best stretches i think he was out at the end of the third when the warriors did that big push for the Warriors, I thought Andre Iguodala needs to play more. Uh, the game was obviously in hand, but only 24 minutes for him. I think he only played 12 minutes in the first half. I still think they need to try to get Draymond at center more. The, that was foiled by his foul trouble, perhaps. But uh, then there was a stretch in the third quarter where those the best Cleveland look they cut a 21 point lead to 12 largely with Richard Jefferson coming in for Thompson and at that point the reason they did so well there I mean Golden State just missed a few shots during that period but I think Jefferson really his ability to switch makes their defense a lot more intact across a lot more situations but then he was screening for lebron and they were even getting lebron against Pachulia, and then they brought mcadoo in and they they got smoked in those minutes and especially brown waited two possessions to try to get iguodala in for Pachulia. and number one he should just be bringing andre in earlier anyway i know they're playing well with Pachulia, but you know green at center with andre is still their best line but iguodala by the way looked great i thought like no ill effects at all from uh you know he had had a nice dunk early on no ill effects at all from uh, that knee tendonitis which is a good sign for golden state but then there were another like two or three possessions after that as well where you know they still had andre waiting at the at the table and they got beat up and then they brought mcadoo in as well because it was just time for green's normal rest and that didn't look good either but then i thought braun did well to stanch the bleeding by coming to Draymond Green again who remember missed a bunch of time in the first half so he was pretty fresh they're able to go back to him and then they're able to push it right back up to 20 points by the end of the quarter with that lineup with Green at center but I mean I think if there's if they're not if they don't have Tristan Thompson in the game you just have to go with Green at center basically I think there's really McAdoo has some mobility but he still can't check LeBron one-on-one uh and he's going to commit dumb fouls and he's a an offensive liability so I, I think that they have to do that and you know if that messes with green's normal rest and the normal rotation like so be it that ties in with exactly what I was going to say, which is that if Cleveland wants to use the Levitt center lineups at the end of the first and third quarters, then you just go back to what the Warriors were doing at the beginning of the season, which was the the Curry-Durant stagger, and you play Durant, you know, have him sit the end of the first and third and, and bring him in at the at the second quarter. He's a much better, I think he's a more better, a better fit in the, in the Warriors offense now than he was then, which is wholly unsurprising considering adjustment periods and everything like that. And they can play it by ear a little bit. I mean, 
they they have enough talent where they can adjust based on what Cleveland does. And the Cavs don't really have a counter to Draymond at center. I have two crazy hustle stats if you're ready for them. Yeah, let's hear it. First one, the less crazy one, Warriors had a 16 to 8 advantage on deflections. But the astounding one is in loose balls recovered, 22 to 6 in favor of the Warriors. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, that stuck out to me during the game. And, and, you know, whether it was long offensive rebounds, whether it was just plays that had been deflected, whatever it was, like they just looked so much more athletic and so much more locked in and so much faster than the Cavs. It really was palpable. And, and I don't I don't think that Cleveland played hard enough in this game. I think that's they're capable of better than this. How much better remains to be seen. All right, adjustments for the next game before we get to a little news here. What can Cleveland do? We've talked about some of it already, but uh, anything we haven't mentioned yet? Almost almost everything I've already mentioned before, but I'll just say in general, going to more of what worked in 2015, slowing it down, using Tristan more, things of that nature. Yeah, Thompson has got to play more. They just don't have a prayer of stopping them without him. I mean, already only had one defensive rebound. He didn't score well. Like, you know, he provides, they're not as good offensively when he's in, but because uh, he allows someone like Green to just hang out and guard him on the baseline and then provide help at the rim. And he's not a great finisher. They usually can bring someone in from the backside to bother him. He's 0 for 3. I mean, he's, he's a fantastic defensive player. Like, he's got to be out there. Um, without him they don't come close to winning that series last year i think on those pick and rolls where they go at Steph, they need to do one of two things either set the screen lower you know let lebron kind of back into position and get to where you know he's at two point range and then you set the screen so now if you're going under you're just giving him up a, a wide open j or he can get some acceleration to the rim and it's much harder to meet him on the other side if you're going under you know if you're if you're at the three-point line you can go under and you've got enough space to make up that you can meet him on the other side um also just flipping the angle of the screen as well setting a dummy screen the first time getting the hedge and then setting the real screen after you flip it going the other way another one is they really had like jr smith or Kyrie were like rolling to the basket a lot of times and to me the screen should be set and then those guys need to pop out to the three-point line get as much separation away from the side of the initial screen as possible and jr smith in particular is really adept at shooting off a of pick and pop threes and obviously Irving is too and so and it makes it much harder to stay on the axis between and stop the pass between LeBron and whoever the roller is if you're popping more out to the three-point line slipping the screen also I think would work getting more of those in semi-transition situations I mean I do think that Cleveland should try to run for their initial offense certainly but then if it's not there they can kind of slow it down uh, because the Warriors D is vulnerable in transition initially Richard Jefferson needs to play more than 15 minutes. He's probably got to play 25, 30 minutes a game. And I get he's not a great player. He hasn't given them nearly as much this year as last year, but he looked pretty spry in this game. And they just need someone else who can give some kind of a modicum of three and D type play. Someone else who can guard Kevin Durant and not totally embarrass himself and isn't LeBron James. Uh, I think that when Pachulia and McGee are in, they need to go at those guys every single second that they possibly can, especially I think with Kyrie Irving more so than 
than LeBron James uh, because Irving can really just eat in the mid-range against those guys or just blow by them right to the rim. Whereas LeBron, you know, again, you can kind of do over and drop against him a little bit more uh, or under and drop even potentially as well. And he can force those guys, you know, the, you're not making those guys defend in space as much with LeBron. Uh, I think Kyle Korver, we should see less of him. Uh, he just doesn't have any kind of juice defensively. The Warriors ran a ton of screens at him as well. Um, again, like more Jefferson, less Korver. Shumper, I think he can be okay, but there's not, Clay Thompson hasn't been the problem in this series and I don't think he can necessarily check Durant and maybe I think you know they probably should be hiding Kyrie on Clay Thompson at this point and still until he starts heating up uh and if they want to go post up Clay Thompson on on Kyrie Irving like that's a win for them most likely so I think with JR more of him on Seth Curry more Shumpert on Seth Curry but I mean they really don't have much of an option against Steph I mean they didn't trap Steph hardly at all in this game do you remember them trapping Steph at all in this game I think like twice but really not that much yeah so I mean, maybe they need to go back to that but you know then you're you're leaving <laughs> someone a, a ton open yeah i mean certainly i think if it's patrulia or if it's mcgee you, know, you can go to that trap a, a little bit more potentially uh oh the warriors have gotten better at shorting the pick and roll and then you can just throw it up for mcgee so but definitely if it's patrulia um i had one more thing I, I I wanted to say. they got it they got to get more yeah go ahead so this is a very standard me thing to say but at the same point it's still true which is running more after makes and i understand the fatigue part of it i would not be expecting that from lebron it should be Kyrie, darren williams when he can i mean he's not exactly the the most agile guy in the world at this point in his career but you want to do that because the worst part of the warriors defense is transition and the more you can make them defend in those situations the better yeah i mean we are being a little contradictory here because we're saying kind of slow it down go to more bully ball but that's you know after no, th- those are those the, are not mutually yeah. exclusive I, I get into this right. with with people before it's like I, I i don't mean this to make light of the term but i think of it as kind of like a bipolar or bifurcated system which is the idea that you push early and then you're patient so you, you you're choosing yeah. is probably the best word for it yeah I, I agree with that assessment and i mean don't forget they outscored golden state pretty significantly in last year's finals and fast break points like they have to beat them on the fast break and when they blitz them especially in games three and game six they had a lot of success with in their early offense especially in the first quarter so i i do think they got to get a little bit of that but yeah it's uh it's going to be tough for them and i think maybe if it gets close down the end that golden state might start getting a little tight but i think i mean i really loved golden state's offensive approach in this game of just and you know if you're playing against like a san antonio or something like that you know you've got to do probably more off ball stuff to really confuse the defense but when you have so many advantages just be and so much shooting just going right at these guys and not letting them bog down your offense by holding off the ball or switching everything and letting the clock run down just you know i, I mean the one time that they got like kevin durant in the post against kyrie irving I mean, it was just the easiest thing you've ever seen they brought someone over the strong side zone durant just throws it to sean livington at the free throw line and he makes like a five foot floater off of it with just nobody guarding him you know it was just like incredibly easy stuff i mean and katie didn't even really have to iso that much but they were just getting pick and rolls early offense 
and letting Steph and KD go to work. And it was a pretty unstoppable combination. So you predicted Warriors in five. I predicted Warriors in six. How are you feeling about that now? I mean, if anything, I'd be moving more towards a sweep. Like like Cleveland has to find a way to muck this game up defensively. They were just, I mean, they should have given up a buck 30 the way they played defense tonight. And maybe LeBron and Kyrie and get hot enough because Golden State does such a good job of just making it still tough on those guys to where all right yeah maybe they beat you but they're at least beating you contested and then sticking to three-point shooters fairly well uh and so if that's what it's going to be and kevin durant could play defense like this i mean he, he's got to get more credit for his defense i mean i know his offense was unbelievable in this game he was just really putting it all out there defensively i thought he did a great job on james and then a great job defending the rim and a great job as a defender on the backside closing out on shooters i mean he really did it all in this game and they don't have anyone to guard him where it's going to take advantage of his weakness of getting through screens or to make him guard so if that's going to be the case if cleveland's going to have to make a lot of contested shots yeah they can do that but they have to slow down golden state more than this uh because you know i know they put up this 120 offensive rating over the first 13 games of the playoffs but you know i don't think they can do that every night against golden state and something that i talked about this in one of the myriad ways that i talked about this series was cleveland is just going to have fewer easy offensive chances because they're getting fewer stops like it was you know they're they're facing a much a vastly superior offensive team to the teams that they faced recently you know they got isaiah thomas was limited and then out kyle lowry was out and they're the raptors and then you have the pacers like they they have not faced a good offense they faced better defenses and it's impressive but there are spillover effects of both of those things and I think Cleveland's going to lose out on that interplay at this point when they didn't earlier. Let's get to a little news here. Some stuff has piled up in the queue. What do we got? Today's personnel news I thought that was was intriguing was uh, Anthony Tolliver had today was the trigger date for his contract so it was two million partially guaranteed and then it was an eight million total salary. The Kings decided to pay the partial guarantee and not the full salary. Unfortunately, J- June first is also his birthday. That's not anything like oh the Kings are so soulless. It's just that that's the date they chose as the trigger date. So he's now a free agent. Yeah, it's good for him actually oh, to absolutely. have that date be as early as possible. Yeah, because now he gets to really be yeah. out on the market and I felt that the Kings were probably not going to do better with that space than him. This is different than the Aaron Aflalo contract where he's just getting paid way too much money. So I feel like that, but he has a later trigger date. So they'll, they have time to figure that out. But if I'm sure they were gauging interest around the league and if no one was interested at Tolliver at that price, then I, I can certainly see them rather having 6 million than having him. Yeah, I think it's probably what I would have done in the Kings situation. Now, it'll be interesting to see whether they decide to stretch that or not. Uh, won't, won't really matter, probably. But I, I think because the Kings, it seems like, are moving towards an asset acquisition mode in terms of, hey, we'll take on some bad salary and maybe we can get some more draft picks, especially because they don't have that 2019 pick. That is, uh, have we ever mentioned that that's owed unprotected to the Sixers, by the way? Never. I've never written on it either. Uh, nonetheless, I think that they can do more just by taking on six million in salary than holding on to Tolliver, who I, you know, I don't. I think Tolliver might be a little overpaid at that eight million, but I think he's a player who could help them. But they've got they want to play probably Scalabissier now uh, at the four. I think he's potentially better as a center, but that's probably he's probably going to be their starting four man next year. 
Tolliver, I still think can help it as a combo forward. He shoots well at, on threes, slowing down a little bit defensively, but it's good for him. I mean, now he just gets two million bucks and he can get back out in the market. And I don't know that he'll get a six million dollar deal, but you know, maybe he can get more than that in guaranteed money. So I think that's and he probably would like to go and play for more of a winning team as well i mean that's a guy who has played on some of the absolute dregs in the nba in his career uh but i think he's a player who still could be a decent backup combo forward for a decent team what else we got here reporting from chris haynes and ramona shelburne that something you and i have talked about before and i've written about way too much that it sounds like kevin durant is going to be willing to take less money for 2017-18 salary in order to keep this team together that would basically be that he's using non-bird rights and the Warriors can then stay over the cap and keep their bird rights for Sean Livingston, Andre Guadalla, and maybe even something for Ian Clark. Yeah, we've discussed this at length many times before. It seemed like certainly from a utilitarian level what would be the right thing to do because if he takes his full max of a little over 35 million that means that they would have to relinquish the cap holds for Iguodala and Livingston and thus basically would have only about four million bucks left under the cap not enough to bring back those guys if he takes that non-bird exception 120 percent of the 26 million he's making this year so uh over 31 million so he's sacrificing about 3.5 million in salary for this year then that they're staying over the cap with the cap holds of Livingston and Iguodala and then you can just pay them whatever you want because they'll have full board rights on both those guys so that seems what's likely he'll likely take a, a one plus one again I would imagine and then maybe he would be eligible at least to get full eight percent raises uh, if he were to take a, a four-year deal this year he could only get five percent raises under the new CBA so we'll see what the eventual structure is maybe they'll want to lock in for longer uh, but probably another one plus one is in the offing and you know he's played great this year and uh doesn't look like he has a huge injury risk going forward and you know even if he tears his achilles he'll probably still get a max contract anyone the next year uh but but that's big news for the Warriors' ability to retain Iguodala, and, and Iguodala is hinted to that as well. Now the question becomes, of course, how many years and how much money for Iguodala? The fact that they can pay him as much as they want to, especially given the fact they're now going to be paying Steph Curry basically $40 million a year for the next five years. The fact that uh, Clay Thompson and Draymond Green will need either extensions or new contracts in the relatively near future. How long do they want to go for Iguodala? They'll be a tax team next year, likely. So it's it's basically just a question of how much is Joe Lacob willing to pay, but they're going to have to give him enough because, I mean, he could easily get, I think, at a minimum three years, $20 million a year on the open market, if not more than that. Yeah, there will certainly be a desire, but and also it's it's always hard when what the team is saving is owner money. It's not buying them any additional flexibility to give Iguodala less money unless they're saying, hey, we're not going to use our mid-level exception otherwise. Yeah, and Feldman was making that this point today that, hey, if KD's like, I'm going to take less money so you can retain this guy, well, then you damn well better pay that guy that I just took less money so you could retain. And it certainly sounds like Iguodala and Bob Myers might have an idea of where they're going with this, and it's possible that they can just reach an equitable solution. Solution. but the other the but, other piece what, of what do you think would be an equitable solution like what, what do you if you're Andre Guadalla and you've contributed what you have uh, to this team you're also 33 years old uh coming off the bench probably I, I mean, what would you be satisfied with if you're Iguodala given the other offers that are out there maybe you take a little hometown discount to stay here but I don't think much 
I don't think much either. I think one of the ways that they could do it is by some sort of pseudo vesting option in a fourth year. So maybe he gets three years, 15 to 20 million. And then that last year is maybe even it's just sort of like a golden parachute where you give him that money, but he just gets more of it based on how much he's played in prior years. Yeah. Or maybe it's something like 5 million guaranteed or something in the last year so that if something happens, they they can get out of it. It distributes the potential tax money more. They can stretch that if they need to so it's not that bad or or trade him away at the if they need to at the end just to save that that money because they're going to be deep into the tax obviously and uh they still have to build that new stadium and they're paying for it all themselves so they're they're definitely going to be printing money for a while what else we got here willie reed unsurprisingly opted out of his contract so that means he'll be a free agent and the heat do do not have bird rights other than non-birds so he basically will dip into cap space heat fans are very familiar with that so we're Hawks fans. They've dealt with that at various times. And so we'll see if he goes back. He should have interest around the league. I don't think he's going to make a ton of money, but he'll make more than the 1.6 he turned out. In other news... Adam Silver had some comments today, both at the presser that we were at and also on Colin Coward's show talking about potentially revisiting the NBA's age limit. Very encouraging to me as somebody who is not a supporter of the current age limit and kind of what he was getting at, especially in his presser today, which I was more familiar with considering we were in the building, was the idea that there are so many one and dones now. And as has been a point that many of us have made, the college system is not designed to prepare guys for the NBA. It's designed to win college basketball games. And I, I don't blame college coaches for doing their job. So if you're seeing that, I think the, the estimate that he used was that 20 of the 60 players that could get drafted this year might be one and done guys. So the idea is kind of why why use that system if that's the result and the NBA can do a better job developing players. I am completely on board with that. And it's something the players union is fighting. And I'm also happy that if it's done outside of the CBA negotiations, that makes it less likely that it's going to be this awkward situation where the owners feel like that should be something that generates a concession when it's hard to argue that that really benefits the players union. It's just something they morally support. Yeah. And the biggest reason why I NBA teams don't want to hear this because it's a pain in the ass to have to draft a 19 year old and, and develop them, especially when these guys just like don't even have any life skills. Now you have to like assign someone to just like, you know, teach this dude how to like balance a checkbook and like get his dry cleaning done and stuff. But the NBA does a better job of developing players to play NBA basketball than college basketball does in all but a, a very few circumstances. And I definitely don't think it's fair as well. But that's the biggest reason I just want to see the highest quality NBA basketball and I'm much it's much more interesting to me to see those players be in the NBA and develop and I enjoy the challenge of trying to figure out how these guys are going to develop and what they're going to be when they're fully formed also the fact that you're limited to this rookie scale contract for your first four years of your career for most players and you might as well get that started as soon as possible I think if Silver really ever wanted to encourage guys to stay in school for longer it would be fix it so you're not subject to restricted free agency after you're a certain age or you're not subject to a rookie scale deal as long if you come into the you know maybe you say all right you're subject to a rookie scale deal until you're 24 or something you know either four years after you're coming into the league or you're 24 then maybe that could, could change that but we're getting a little bit far afield here um programming note the twitter nba show second screen the live calling the 
NBA Finals as an alternate play-by-play, essentially, and taking your questions during commercials. That'll return for any of the games that are in Cleveland. Danny and I are not going there this year, but we uh, do like to be in the building when the NBA Finals are are in our hometown. We get a chance, obviously, to ask questions and pressers and stuff. Also, uh, see all of our friends, make plans to go eat at great Bay Bay Area restaurants. Anything else we got to talk about before we go? Well, I'll just mention, considering I asked the question that I asked asked Commissioner Silver about expansion, and basically with the idea that they just have labor peace and they have and he basically well, you, said you want to just you want to just play that audio actually if you have I, it I, I forgot yeah that happened so long ago yeah i'm sure we can find it somewhere we'll put it on there okay danny larue real gm commissioner silver with labor peace established at this point how are you feeling about expansion in the near or the long term expansion is not something we're looking at right now it's, it's less a function of labor peace it more goes to the strength of a 30-team league um you know the initial question today was, you know, what do you feel about the competitive balance when two teams blew through the playoffs? I think what for, from my standpoint, for the league, you want ultimately a league where 30 teams are in the position, are in a position where they can ultimately compete for championships and also be economically viable. Um, From the economic standpoint, we're doing better than we did historically, but we're still not at a point where we have 30 teams that are profitable. And in terms of the pool of talent. It's quite remarkable to me that people can look at this league and say there are only two teams that can compete when every great player in the world, whether they're from China or whether they're from Pittsburgh, ends up in this league. So I I also have to look at the potential for dilution of the existing talent we have before we expand. I have no doubt at some point we'll turn back to it, but it's but at least in my last um, discussions with our owners on this, most of their, most of them said let's keep focusing on the health of these 30 teams and the quality of the competition. When we feel we're in a better place with the 30 teams we have, maybe at that point we can look to expand. All right, that'll do it for today. If you want to give us a review on iTunes? That would be much appreciated if you're enjoying our content. We'll be back Sunday night with a thorough wrap up of Game Two of the. 2017 NBA Finals. Talk to y'all then.